Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, the show for business owners looking to acquire, scale, or exit a business. Before we get on with today's program, we just wanted to let you know that the Buy, Grow, Sell team have been working really hard to come up with more resources that add more value to your journey. This includes a range of webinars, tools, and other events, including an online summit where we get some of the industry's leading experts to come and share their insights. If you'd like to know more, go to buygrowsell.com forward slash events. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. I'm really looking forward to sharing another episode with you today. My next guest is Jeffrey Deckman. Uh, Jeffrey's a lovely man. Um, he basically is going to walk us through his story about how he got into a company called Synet and ultimately built it up and then sold it off to his key managers, which is a really interesting exit, you know, and it's something that I'm finding out in the world is, is quite topical at the moment. Um, this idea of a management buyout and getting employees involved as shareholders. And, you know, one of the things that Jeff really picks on about this story and this journey is this quest for happiness and fulfillment and that life is a journey and your business is a vehicle. And, you know, we talk a lot about that on this, on this show, but, you know, I think Jeffrey is a living example of how you need to look beyond just money and, and just ego-driven metrics to find an outcome that delivers happiness, purpose, and ultimately a better outcome for the people that you've left behind. I think it's a great story. It really sort of touches the heart. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. This is Jeffrey Deckman. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Thanks, Simon. How are you? I'm very well, very well. Thank you so much for coming on the show and, and having a chat to us. Uh, my pleasure. I, I love the work you do, and it's, it's really important. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, Jeff, I know, um, you know we're going to have a bit of a chat about you know, your company, Cynet, that you started and ultimately exited from. And, you know, obviously we'll, we'll chat a little bit about what you're doing today, but um, maybe I could get you to give us a bit of your background and kind of what led to you getting into Cynet and building that business. Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm one of those guys that's a high school graduate that wanted nothing to do with college. So my father actually had been in the cable television business since 1951. So I grew up around linemen and tower workers and field engineers. And to me, they were like cowboys. So when I grew up, I wanted to, be, if, if I grew up, I wanted to be a cowboy, right? So I got out of high school and uh, that's what I did. I, I became a lineman and then I became a tower worker and then I became a field engineer. And when I was about 23, I found myself overseeing the operations and building of a, of a pretty large system in Northern Jersey that was in uh, when, that, when was that? That was probably like 79, 80. And I had an opportunity to join one of my, one of the contractors working for me. And uh, he had a really small apartment wiring company. And I had, I, I learned engineering and design and construction, all that type of stuff. So I said, Hey, how about we come together and we'll form this company? Uh, he liked that idea. I left my, my, uh, job, which was, uh, which was good to, you know, become a, an entrepreneur. And uh, I, uh, we had success in that for about seven years. We built it to four offices. 
in four states. We were in Dallas, Texas, North Jersey, Chesapeake, Virginia, and Rhode Island. And wow. what happened was uh, that business crashed. And it was because we didn't, we knew what we were doing, but we didn't know how to run a business that became as complex as that one did. Sure. Can I ask how big it was by the time it got to that point? Uh, we had 108 employees and we were doing about $5 million in 1987 money. So yeah, wow. Reasonable size, you know, a lot of heavy equipment. We did a lot of underground construction. So we had earth saws and big dump trucks and, you know, a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, it was very labor intensive, heavy overhead. And what we didn't realize was, you know, you have four offices in four states. That's like having four companies. And yes. it, ju it just collapsed on us. So uh, on the other side of that, I could either get a job. I was known in the industry or I just had this thing that said, you know, I'm not done yet. And I had a lot of debt from the other company. And I managed to have $17,000 that I had squirreled away. And I looked at that and I said, I, I want to make, make a go at another company. And the reason for that was I knew that if I started a business, I'm sorry, if I took a job, I'd probably never start another business. I was married. I had a two-year-old. I had another one on the way. And I just bought a new house in April <laughs> before the crash happened in June. Right? Uh, yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh. So I knew, you know, I would I would just stay on the career path. Uh, but then I realized, you know, if I start another company and that fails, I can always get the other. I can always take a job. So yep. that choice allowed me to keep both choices alive. And uh, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I can, can I pick on that a bit? And maybe maybe you just answered my my question. But I, I, I want to get back to when you first left your job and started that first company because I'm always fascinated with what makes an entrepreneur, you know, or makes somebody go down this path. Um, do, do, do your, I mean, you said your father worked in, in cable TV, but was he employed? Did he have his own company or what, what was the, was there anybody entrepreneurial in your family is where I'm going with that? Uh, not really. I mean, he had, uh, he had worked his way up through companies and then he, yep. he started a small contracting company when I was a senior in high school and he wanted me, I'm sorry, about two years out. And he wanted me to, to join it. And I didn't want to join it because it was construction and I was on the engineering path at that point. So I, I said, no, thank you. And if you literally, if you would have asked me the morning uh, that I of the day that I decided to go into business, if I would ever go into business myself, I would have told you unequivocally, no. <laughs> there was no way. I, you know, it was just yeah. it was inconceivable to me. But what happened was. You know, I was 24, 25. I was a young buck. I was moving my way up through this organization. It was growing quickly. And I didn't have the, the diplomacy skills, the political skills, or the patience to deal with corporate. So I, ha I had a conversation with my boss one day, and he wanted me, you know, I had 40 people working for me at that point. Most of them I trained, and we were a real band of brothers, you know. And they wanted to change a benefit package. And he wanted me to portray it in a way that wasn't true uh, because he didn't want the, the guys to get upset. And I said, I, I've, I tell the truth to my guys. They love working here. It's not going to And he tried to muscle me to misrepresent what we were doing. And I said, yeah. I wouldn't do it. So at one point I looked at him and I said, uh, pardon my French. I said, this sucks. I'm not doing it. Yeah. And he just looked at me and said, what'd you say? And I knew that was my moment. I could either dial yeah. it back or I could just, and I said, no, you heard me. This sucks. I'm not doing it. 
And I get up yeah. and uh, his office was about three blocks away from mine. And as I was walking from that office to mine, I said, I got to go. Uh, I think I can run a company better than he can. Then I should call my own bluff. Yeah, so that's what I did. I went in, I sat, I made a phone call to a guy who was struggling. And uh, I said, you know, I, I don't want to come in as an employee. I don't have any money. I mean, I was so broke. My my friends didn't have money. Right. <laughs> and yeah. and I said, but I know a lot of people and I know a lot of stuff. So he was doing like two thousand a, a week, maybe apartment wiring. And uh, so he brought me in 50 percent owner because his accountant said, George, your company isn't worth anything anyway. So you may as well give him yeah. half. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we had a pretty good run. We ended up coming up. I came up with an idea for another company to pull an underground construction company in. And that's the one we built that, that ultimately crashed. But it was just yeah. I, I knew I couldn't make it in that other spot and, and have my integrity. So I, I yeah, called yeah. my own bluff. So out I went. Critical, critical crossroad in your journey there about, you know, your own ethics, your own morals, your own like interesting that you know had you not been faced with that situation as you said you might have ended up being in corporate forever but uh fortunately in a lot of ways i think you know i mean i think you probably can add a lot more value doing what you're doing today and having run companies than just being a, a number in in a in somebody else's business so yeah well you know when i when i told my father that i was going into business for myself he said well you know jeff if you're going to work for a jerk it may as well be yourself and, <laughs> and I was like, thanks, Dad. I think you know. <laughs> yeah, he he was my hero and mentor in in many many ways. But yeah, you know, I'll tell you, I could have made more money uh, working in corporate because I ended up getting into technology. The second company I started uh, called Cynet. Uh, I knew I wanted to get out of the cable television industry because that was getting really competitive. Barriers to entry were nothing, and prices were going way down. And I saw there was an opportunity to uh, get into local area networking. In fact, in 1986, I was hired to do the first local area network pilot project at Harvard University. Uh, and I, I went in and I was, at, you know, I, I looked at this and it completely intimidated me. And I, uh, the guy wanted me to put a bid on it. So I gave him a price three times higher I could have made in cable television. And he took it. And I said, that's the business I got to get in. So <laughs> I, uh, it took me two years to get out of cable television and into that. And Synet yep. became one of the premier integrators in, in New England for, uh, for quite a while. Yeah, nice, nice. So, so talk to me a little bit about those early years of Synet and you adapting to this new industry, new space. You know, how big was the company? How, how quickly did it grow? Like what do those early years look like? Well, you know, <laughs> you started with 17,000 and a mountain of debt, right? And uh, it was really, really tough. I mean, I ran numbers on how long I could survive with my little $17,000. Uh, and I went to all of my cable TV clients. I had about 17 of them in the other company that, that were in the region. And I told them I was going out of business, but the other company was still going to do some cable. So if they, would, uh, if, if they would hire me to do that, I'd finish up the projects. And uh, all but one retained me. So I at least had a little bit of work, but then that quickly dried up and I struggled with cash flow. Oh man, I couldn't break a million dollars for nine years. Uh, yep. the, the first year I got up to, in a year and a half, I got up to 750,000 in revenue, which was pretty good. 
And then the a very long story, I won't get into it, but the state of Rhode Island licensed my industry out of business and gave it to the electricians. So, All right. yeah, we ended up, uh, I ended up getting very involved in suing the state and then becoming a lobbyist to go up and get the law changed. And wow. I spent so much time up at the state house getting that law repealed that my, my revenues went from 700,000 down to 415,000 the next year. And it almost choked me out. Um, yeah. Wow. And then it just took me years. You know, we ended up being successful, but uh, with that, yeah. and we ended up, took me years to get back up to where I could even break a million. Do you know, and, and thank you for sharing that. There's there's a couple of really big points here that jump out to me. You know, it's, and, and I know you and I were chatting a little bit offline about people preparing for sale and stuff like that. But it's, it's funny, when I talk to people about the value of their company, and the importance of timing even if they're going to exit and, and how timing can have such a massive impact on value. You know, when you start to break down, I think there's always sort of almost three, three major segments I tell people to look at. The first is the big macro environment. You know, this is, this is what's going on in the world. You know, we're all really small boats in a really large ocean. So when the wave comes, you know, doesn't matter how good you think your boat is, you will rise and fall based on the, the economic environment and the macros that, that, are, that are sort of circulating around that. Um, and what you just touched on there, you know, every, a lot of people will know a typical pest analysis, you know, political, environmental, socio, te socio-cultural, technological, that sort of stuff. Political risk, man. Big change in the law. You know, you, you're in business and doing well and growing one day and the next day, you, you know, you're struggling or potentially don't even have a business. Right. Um, and so I, I keep sort of saying to people and, and for those listening, you know, after the macro, you start to look at the actual industry and sector you're in and then you, your own organisation. But I, I keep getting asked this question, when is the best time to sell my company? And there are two elements to it. I, I always say to people, one is when there's more buyers than there are sellers. You know, in other words, when the market values your business at more than what you value it at, that's a good time to sell, right? Because you're probably not going to get that dynamic all the time. Um, but, you know, part of that is actually that big macro wave, right? And when, when the times are up and it's good, like, you know, you might not see that cycle for another 10 years. So, you know, sometimes people aren't necessarily keen to exit, but if the timing is actually right for other reasons, it's worth considering. Right. And, you know, the challenge with that a lot of times is, uh, you know, this is my baby. This, is, this yeah. is my identity. This is my what, you know, I can't imagine, like, what else would I do if it wasn't this? And that's one of the biggest challenges for sellers is to be able to envision that next stage of their life that excites them so much yes. that, that they're willing to move out from that other space. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's a transformation and, and transformation is a lot harder than change. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. It's a, it's, a, it's a great point. And I think it speaks to business owners needing to understand not just the purpose of their company, you know, why their company exists other than just making a profit, but also what is the purpose of that company for you as the business owner? Like what is it meant to fulfill as a part of your life? And, you know, what are you getting out of it? And what are the goals around that, that business? Um, you know, we talk a lot about exit planning here, <laughs> around here and, you know, not everybody's going to start a, a new startup with an exit plan. Oh, I'm going to build this to X, you know, on day one, I'm going to, I know that I will exit in five years at this level. It's, it's too kind of far off or unreal for people to get wrap their arms around it. But 
at some point on the journey, I think business owners need to start getting really clear as to what they want out of this journey we call business and this particular asset that they own so that they can recognize opportunities like that and and I guess think about it more clearly as to whether they want to execute on those opportunities as they arise. You know, that's that really leads to my story. Uh, like that's just the perfect segue because I was, uh, <clears throat> well, let's say it was probably, it was 2005. And so I started it in 87, uh, broke a million, I think probably about in 2005 or six, but I had lost $100,000 that year because I got a lot of, I got too much work in. And I had to do the work at overtime rates. And, you know, it just, that almost choked you out. You know, you can, you can go under from too much work or, or too little work or bad work yeah. or whatever. There's a lot, a lot of things that will kill you out there, right? <laughs> so yeah. I, I managed to dig out of that hole. I, I looked at that and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a two-year journey. I'm going to be just to break even again. So, but, you know, that's, that's what you do. And if you love what you do and, and you like being the captain of your own ship, well, that, that's part of it, right? Uh, and then probably around, uh, well, in, in 2000, I had an opportunity to uh, really look to make it big. You know, technology was booming. We were in a really cool spot. And I worked for about a year with a group in New York trying to get, we were looking to get about $50 million of venture capital and to do a smart building uh, company. And so I was down there and I was spearheading that and trying to get that to happen with a bunch of other people who were really smart and knew that, that venture world. Uh, and after a year, realized, well, the, the, the bubble burst. So all the money in Wall Street went, you know, that was 2000. So I kind of came back and I was looking, saying, oh, I had this vision of taking this company to, and now I'm back doing, you know, three, four million a year. Uh, and yep. in order for me to do that for the year, I was going down, uh, just about every week for the week. So I had to prepare my management team to be able to run the company without me while I was down there. So yep. that year really allowed us to figure out, okay, you know, this is what you do. And I had to give up some things and, you know, I had to empower people and trust people. And my ego was really in the way. And I had to, I really had to work through some really gnarly stuff on that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I came back, the company was running and like, where do I fit? And I didn't fit anywhere. And that, that caused problems because, you know, I would go to my, my one partner. I, the people who were my partners were people I hired. And they had done such a great job that I, I gave one 25% of the company and another uh, 7% of the company because, you know, they came in, we were doing a million a year. And within two years, we went to three million. And within another two years, we went to five. And that, that wow. was largely because of what we could do together. And yep. uh, it was really a good mix. So I said, look, you know, you came in. I had a million dollar company. I now have a five million dollar company. I'm cutting you in because you deserve it. And yep. it locks you in. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah totally. Anywhere, right? Yep. So, uh, but we really ended up having some real conflicts because, you know, I'd be like, well, let me come in and do projects. Nope. That, you know, that was Steve's area. Well, let me come in and have some more input on finance. No, that was Joyce's area. And after a while, it got contentious. And what was once, you know, my best friends, we became adversaries. 
Uh, And I became resentful because it's like, look, I built this thing from nothing. I dragged this, you know, you get that whole story that's, that's, it's true, but it's, it's self-absorbed, you know? And uh, yeah, so I was, uh, our relationship was dropping. I was bored. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I need the next thing in my industry. It kind of, kind of flatlined a little bit. It's still going well, but uh, I remember I was sitting in a meeting and I was listening to, you know, monthly reports, <coughs> excuse me. And I just, I heard myself say it before I thought it. And it was, I have to leave. And I just said, I, I got to get out of here. And my partners looked at me and they said, what, do you have another meeting? And I said, no, I, I have, I have to get out of here. And they said, what are you talking about? I said, I don't even know if I know what I'm talking about, but I just know I can't stay here anymore. So I I excused myself from the meeting because, you know, in that moment, I I spoke a truth to myself that I was avoiding. But I was just, my skin was crawling in that meeting. And uh, I started thinking about, okay, why, why did I start the company? I started the company because I wanted to build a company. Okay, so what's the next level question? Why, why did you want to build a company and not just build somebody else's? Well, I, I, I ultimately wanted to really be happy with what I was doing. I wanted to have uh, a lot of independence in what I was doing. And I, 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 I started because I wanted to be happy. Okay, so the business is now not making you happy. So in that moment, another moment of truth, you know, like back when I was 25 years old, walking from one office to the other, it's like, wait a minute, if you built the business to make you happy, that's why you're a business owner and you're not happy. And I know your identity. Everybody knows you as president of Cyanet. I had a national reputation in that industry. And, but, you know, that's my, I had my parking spot. (laughs) (laughs) I was was king of my drum and all that type of stuff. And I was like, but you're, but I'm not happy. So, so what do I want? Do I want the bling? Do I want the ego feed or do I want happiness? And, uh, I, I got back to my partners and I said, yeah, I, I, I want to sell. Let's, let's start talking about that. And then that started what was uh, about a, about a year and a half journey. Okay. Yep. Uh, I, I immediately, uh, well, pretty quickly, I turned the the operation of the company over to them because I didn't want to be in there. And, you know, there are certain rules that, that I had, but I had to go launch my other, my other entity, which I didn't know what it was going to be. And then, hmm. uh, you know, it's like, well, I can't be a president of a telecommunications company again. I can't do this. And I was 30 years in the same industry. So like, I'm thinking to myself, you know what, buddy, you really, you kind of screwed yourself here. <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't have a college degree. Like, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, I don't so, think a college degree matters at that point of your life though. You've proven your success and your value. <laughs> you know, when you're really doubting yourself, you, you bring up every rock you can and bash yourself in the head with it. You know? <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> you're fool. You're fool. Uh, my dad had a great saying and it was, he said, you know, Jeff, sometimes you set your hair on fire and put it out with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, Lord. you just cause your own stuff sometimes, man. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I know. But what I did was I, uh, I was on a spiritual path, you know, st- a consciousness path. I still am. Yeah. Uh, and I remembered something a teacher once told me and I said, don't live your life based upon questions of fear. Live your life based upon questions of love. So I realized I was looking at, at my whole thing from, from a scarcity position instead of abundance. 
And I went, okay, well, I, I'm looking at all those things I can't do. What, what would I love to do? I mean, yeah. like, let's face it, you're sick of the telecommunications industry. You've been in it for your whole, your whole career. What would you love to do? And immediately it came, I would love to help other people build their businesses easier than I built mine. And, yeah. and I, I would love to serve that community because I resonate with them. I've had the IRS shut me down. I've had them threaten to take my house. I've had them, I've had cash flow nightmares. I've resolved all that type of stuff. Uh, and most importantly, I've learned how to maintain the mindset of the entrepreneur to be able to go through the most challenging places and to be able to keep your, you know, when it's most critically important and the stakes are the highest to keep yourself cool. Yeah. Just to, yeah. Okay. We're going to see how this works out. Uh, yeah. So that's what yeah. I, I launched and uh, you know, the, the way we sold the company was kind of unique. Uh, yeah. I didn't bring in a, a broker. Uh, we had looked at getting involved in a roll up a couple of times and we decided not, not to do that. And I, I said to my, my partners, I said, look, this isn't rocket science. <laughs> okay. I mean, this is, this is math. Okay. Yep. Biggest challenge we're going to have is the relationship and the personal dynamics. And I, and, and at the time we were not really good friends. Uh, we were, we were having issues. So that added additional stress to it. Now we're looking at, this is, you know, it's the business I'm going to sell and it's a business they're going to keep. They didn't want to impoverish it, impoverish it. And, you know, I needed enough to keep me going. So, uh, I, I said, look, guys, we are all of us are going to have to really be careful that we don't de-evolve into being so selfish that we hurt everybody because we have an obligation to everyone who works here. And for, for a construction company, construction company, we have incredible retention. Uh, there are people that, that work in there 15 years. There are people that started their careers and built through there. And I said, you know, look, we may be fighting amongst ourselves, but we have to have a higher uh, goal that we're aligned upon. And that is to be respectful of everybody who's given us their blood, sweat and tears and are depending upon us to make sure the mothership keeps going. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I, I'm always saying in transactions to both buyer and seller, you know, the number one rule here is don't damage the asset. Right? And that asset, by the way, is made up of not just an entity with a brand and some revenue streams. There's a lot of people involved in here that actually make this asset what it is. So, you know, don't don't damage it just because we're beating our chest and letting our egos get in the way of things. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's never black and white. There's a thousand shades of grey we're going to have to navigate here to find the right mix of solutions to, to get the, the right outcome. And so... Um, let me, let, let me pick on that, that that sort of process for you a little bit, if I could. Um, so you you'd, previously you'd given twenty five percent to one partner and seven percent to another. Was that so? They it was part of their package. They didn't actually have to buy that off you. Is that right? So you're sitting there. So thirty two percent of the company is now owned by the others. You're talking about starting to sell to them. What? How, first of all, how did you come up with a number? Like, what was the valuation of the business based on? Well, uh, about three years prior to that, we had two. We came close to doing roll-ups twice, so okay. we had gone through a lot of that, and we had a sense for what it was. Uh, but you know, it was uh, it was about probably about a year later, 
And what we did was we said, okay, look, let's, let's do it this way. Uh, you know, what's really important in these things is that you anticipate the really gnarly spots before you get to them. And you say, when we hit this gnarly spot, how are we going to deal with that? So that way, when everybody's relatively sane, you make your agreements and then you move forward. So what we did was we said, all right, here's what we'll do. We will uh, have an appraiser come in yep. and that appraiser is going to make the appraisal. And we had an accountant that we really liked, the guy out of State Street up in Boston, uh, super oh. good. Uh, and we all trusted him. We said, we're going to get the appraiser and then we're going to have Don come in and whatever Don says, can we agree to go with it? Yep. So Don's independent. Yep. Everybody knows of him. Everybody trusts him. He likes us so all. There's a sense that he's, yeah, he's unbiased. Yep. Um, I, I do, just to pick up on your previous point, though, the fact that you'd had other people approach you in the past um, and and talk to you about roll-ups and things like that, and obviously valuation is important because it's, you know, people people ask me about valuation and I say, look, I, I'm always a big believer in what, what's the fair market value, right? It's it's what the market is willing to pay for your business. And the best gauge of that is actually what other businesses are selling for, right? Because they're real transactions where people have parted with money and actually got a deal done. So it it, it is a very good indicator. Um, the danger of it, of course, is that people from the very distant outside see another company in their industry sell and you know, make the assumption that they're all the same, which we know that's not the case. But definitely that market-based feedback with an unbiased advisor to pull apart the detail of your company sounds like a very good mix to me to uh, to come up with a what, uh, what is probably a, a fair number. Right. And you know, you, go ahead. Oh, yeah, just, uh, just to pick on that. So he did he... Did Don use a particular methodology? Like, you know, we, we see a lot of uh, valuations done on a multiple of EBITDA. Um, sometimes yep. it's a multiple of revenue. Sometimes it's a multiple of a weighted average or, you know, there's lots of different little ways to slice and dice that. But do, do you recall what the the sort of methodology was that he used? It was a multiple of EBITDA. And, uh, yeah, right. Yep. And I think, I think our multiplier was like 4.5 or, or something cool. like that. You know, and in my yeah. industry, there wasn't a lot of selling and transactions going on with that because the industry was hot. It was still kind of young. And uh, so there wasn't a whole lot out there. Uh, you know, there there was some talk that, you know, we had one guy come in and say and, and think we were like a software company and wanted to do a multiplier of 12 or something. <laughs> and, and that would have been yeah, great yeah. for me, you know, but I looked at I looked at these guys and I went, look, uh, I. I want you to be fair with me, so I'm going to be fair with you. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's the thing, you know, you really need to be able to look just outside of what is your immediate want and what you think you deserve. I mean, this is a business yes. transaction, a lot of people involved in it. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to come out of that and you're going to look back on that at some point in time. And, you know, it's like I tell my son when he was really having a a big decision he had to make. And I said, look, whatever decision you make, make it from the standpoint that when you look back on this from a year from now, you will be proud of the man that you were in that moment, regardless yeah, of yeah. what the outcome is. You know, it's, it's an interesting one. You know, talked about, you know, value and being happy with what you're getting out of it. And you know, I guess being realistic in a lot of ways, but 
One little exercise I like to suggest to some business owners, and I, and I talk to a lot of people who are, you know, some are ready to sell and they want to get out now, but others are further back on the journey. It could be, you know, hey, Simon, I want to get out in maybe two, three years. Some are even longer, five, even 10 years. Um, and and because I, I've seen so many business owners um, bounce around with their emotions and get confused about what they really want, particularly when they're in the heat of the moment of, you know, trying to negotiate. So if you're two or three years out from exiting, one thing I would suggest to people is think about a number today that if somebody walked in and said, I'm, I'd like to buy your business and, okay, so you're in the mindset of I'm going to sell my company, regardless of whether where it's at and whether the number makes sense, what's a number that you would feel really happy about today that you would feel, hey, not only does that help me in my life, but it would make me feel proud and it would make me feel like a success and that I've done an amazing job here. And, um, and, and let's just say for the example, that number might be 5 million. I'm just picking a random number here, but <laughs> write that 5 million or write that number down on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope and stick it in the top drawer of your desk somewhere. And the one thing I'd suggest is because if you get two, three, five years down the track and you are having one of those moments where you've been approached and you're churning away and the gears are grinding about what you should be doing and all the rest of it, and there'll be so many variables in that, that that can throw you off or make you feel confused or frustrated or stressed, pull that envelope out and remind yourself about how you felt back in the day because, you know, sometimes I think we just need to be anchored more in the reality of how we felt about the world when we weren't under pressure. And and it can just really help people get clear on, you know what, hey, these guys are offering me six million bucks. You know, two years ago, I would have been dancing over the moon for five million. Like, actually, this is an enormous win. And if anything, over five million is probably a great number. So, you know what, maybe I shouldn't damage my relationships and friends and just so I can push for that little bit more. It's you know, it's just a bit of a reality check that, that yeah. life is not always about the number and it's not always about that moment in time. And, you know, that opportunity that comes along may be the only opportunity that comes along and the next one comes in at three because the market crap or something. So you Absolutely. Know, and there we are back with those big macros again, right? The wave has already gone and you've missed your opportunity. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you love what you're doing and you're you're in it and, fi- you know, just just keep on chugging along. But if you're yeah. if the bloom's kind of coming off the rose a little bit and you're wondering and it's turning into like a job or a grind, you know, that's yep. an indication. And most of the moves I've made in my life wasn't because I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I couldn't do anymore. Yes. Yes, and, but sometimes it's easier to define, right? It's um, easier to define what you don't like than it is what you're actually looking for. And, and, and you know, to your point about if you're happy, keep chugging along. I, I would recommend to every business owner, to every person for that matter, even if you're working for someone else, if you're happy in your role and you're enjoying it, try to take a little bit of time and introspection to think about what exactly is it about the role you're playing, do you love? Because I think a lot of people get caught up in the fact that I'm the president and I've got this role and aren't I important and I've got the car park and I've got this or that, or I'm the, you know, there's the shiny things that people think that that are the, the goal or the attractive part of it. But when they break it down, and I had to do this myself, 
I realized actually what it is, is I really love talking to people. I love engaging. I love feeling like I'm adding value to someone's life and I'm, I'm making a difference. Um, I like to be my own boss. I like to feel like I have freedom and in the, in the role that I play, even though I have to work with others to achieve things. Like getting really clear on the elements in your job that actually give you the happiness as opposed to this bland package of it's this thing and it comes with a title because that thing is hard to replicate. But if you leave your business or your job, the tasks and the things that made you happy may actually be quite easy to replicate somewhere else. You know, I've always felt, well, not always, but, you know, 15 years into it, I probably started getting it that, you know, entrepreneurship is one of the most powerful journeys of self-discovery you can go on because you're up against it. You've got everything on the line. You're under stress. Nobody can, oftentimes nobody can help you, but you and who am I under pressure and what do I do and how do I go through that? And man, it can be lonely. It's like Navy SEAL training. You know, (laughs) there's a lot lot of people are, are executives and, you know, thanks for your service, right? A lot of people are in the Navy. Thank you for your service. But then there are those people who want to go out and build their own thing. The, those are yeah. special ops, women and men, and they're, they're wired. Yeah. Their journey is going to be more difficult. It's also going to be incredibly rewarding. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, if, if you know how to start a business, you know how to survive. There's a lot of people that are very good at what they do, uh, you know, better at what they do than, than I could ever be. But if they didn't have a job, if they didn't have someone paying them, they wouldn't know how to go out and make their own money. Uh, and, and that's not a diss. That's just a vulnerability. Uh, yep. We're entrepreneurs. Yep. You know, we know how to go out and, and, you know, at least have the basics to start up another one. And we don't have that mental block that says we don't know how. So maybe we can't. Like, that's the thing that freezes people. And uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a tough journey. But, you know, I'm 66. I've been self-employed for 40 years. and I look back and, you know, I have been able to make a lot of decisions about how I spend my time, where I take my career, what I do, what I don't do, what I volunteer for. Uh, And uh, self-determination has really been important. It's been the biggest gift it's given me. Yeah, that's fabulous. You remind me of um, an expression that one of my mentors shared with me. You know, we were heading into COVID, the world had changed. We, uh, you know, we were faced with challenges like everybody. And uh, I remember saying to, to him that, you know, I mean, I'm a fairly sort of positive outlook kind of person, but I said, okay, well, look, it's all right. We'll make the change, you know, and you know what they say, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's character building, right? You know, we talk about our challenges and my friend and mentor turned around to me and said, you know what? I actually agree with that, Simon. I, I don't think that difficult times are, are character building. He said, I believe they're character revealing because the person that is going to come out this other side is actually already inside you. It's just that sometimes it needs to be exposed to the right kind of pressure to reveal the diamond that's inside. And so, you know, and I thought that it was such an insightful comment that, you know, you can't teach some people, and this is back to your point, you know, there are some people who, will never start a business and they never should start a business. You know, they're very good perhaps at what they do, Absolutely. but they will work better in an environment where somebody else is taking that risk and having to manage those kind of decisions that, that business owners have to make. But, um, 
yeah, just this exposure to challenges reveals deeply who you are. You know, and that's such an empowering viewpoint. You already have it. You just have to discover it. You know, it's like Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, if you're familiar with that. And it's the basis. I'm not, of, no. It's, oh, it's phenomenal. It's the basis of all myths. Joseph Campbell was an anthropologist who studied myths all over the world. And he saw all these patterns. And uh, Bill Moyers did a phenomenal series of interviews with him. You can see them on YouTube. They're amazing. But, uh, you know, so take a look at The Wizard of Oz. Okay. The, yep. The hero's myth is basically a person starts out a normal person. Everything's going along. All of a sudden, something major, a major disruption comes in, puts them in a different place in their life. Yeah. Yeah. And they're in there and they're met with, you know, lions and tigers and bears and flying monkeys. And, you know, with <laughs> they don't know how they're going to get through any of it. And, uh, and at the end of it, they find out that they got through everything with they already had what they already needed. In fact, uh, yeah. The good witch tells her at the very end, you had what you needed to get home all along. Yeah, but yeah. He had to go through those trials and tribulations to find it. You know, uh, the, the, the lion realized he had his courage. The tin man realized he had the heart. The scarecrow had the brain, right? He just didn't yeah. know it. Yeah. And, and that's what yeah, the entrepreneurial yeah. journey is. It's, it's a hero's journey to go in and challenge yourself. And uh, it's, it's really powerful. Yeah, it's interesting you say now that you've explained it, I, the, the principles of what Joseph Campbell there talks about is something we, we've talked a lot about. It's, you know, every, every good story, every movie practically follows the same formula, right? Like there's a protagonist, they have some kind of massive challenge in their life that disrupts the norm. Typically a guide comes along to, to give them the support. They yeah. go through an enormously challenging experience and at the end there is transformation. And, you know, it's funny, though, how often, you know, is it life replicates art, art replicates life. But, uh, you know, I think most people out there, particularly the, you know, business owners are probably listening to this can relate to that, right? Like in your deepest, darkest times, there's usually somebody in your world or in your life that happens to almost serendipitously pop up yeah. and be able to give you a little piece of advice or a little bit of support that helps you get over that hump and get moving again. You know, and that determination where you just look and you say, you know what, I win. And if I don't win, I'm going down winning. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I, I, had, uh, I had stage four cancer in 2016. And wow. the, the entrepreneur, the, the, the lessons I learned is from stress management and staying calm under pressure and staying focused as an entrepreneur were su such a lifesaver for me, literally, going through that wow. process because I never melted down. And my attitude yeah. at the time was, I win. And, and until my last breath is gone, I'm still at the table and I can still get more chips. I can still win. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. And that, that's the entrepreneur's mindset. And the things that yeah. we learn about ourselves uh, are just so important for us. And then also, if we have children or there's people around us, they get to see that, oh, they can be an entrepreneur too. Yeah. That yeah. is possible for them. I never thought it was possible for me. And just yeah. through, through chance, it ended up, you know, here I am 40 years later and I'm still doing it. <laughs> and helping other people do it with their business, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's awesome. I love that you mentioned the kids. Oh, like I've got two boys that are 14 and you know, almost 16. And, you know, I keep talking to them about 
you know, you can be the master of your own domain. You can do your own thing. You can cut your own path. And, you know, it's, it's funny. They already have little mini businesses where they go and power wash people's driveways and they have done all sorts of things. My one son has absolutely no fear about door knocking people and asking for the business. Um, and the other son is just really meticulous about doing the job. And it's like, wow, you guys actually make a really good team. And, yeah. but it's, it's funny. They, their own friends have said to them who are, they're all getting jobs now, right? Why wouldn't you just get a job? And then people just pay you to turn up and you're there and you're whatever. And it's like, but because I'd spreadsheeted with my son about how he would work his numbers on the power washing, he goes, yeah, but you're getting paid $11 an hour to turn up and be bossed around. Do you, do you like your job? He goes, no, it sucks. I hate it. It's like really hot and sweaty in the kitchen and it's, you know, and the guy is a manager. He's a bit of a doofus. And, and he goes, well, my son goes, well, I go out and I actually chat to business, homeowners and they're so thankful that I'm coming to do this work. They're lovely and they often give me biscuits and offer me a cup of tea or a drink and they're just, they're so lovely. And he goes, and by the time I'm finished my work, he goes, I get paid 30 bucks an hour. Right. Now, it might not be as regular as what you get, but geez, I enjoy doing it and I love making the money. Yep. <laughs> and so it was funny to hear my son explain this to somebody else and I thought, man, it's happening already and you're only 14. Yep. And you know, your grandkids will be exposed to that thinking and on and on. I mean, you help somebody stay in business or you start a business. You have, you in many cases have changed the ripples of generations going forward. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. really- uh, That's cool. Least, That's a very cool way of thinking. Yeah, they, they at least know they have the option. In fact, yeah, my, indeed, indeed. My daughter started, uh, became a massage therapist and uh, she was a massage therapist for about, I don't know, four or five years, then had an opportunity to go out and try to start a small little thing. And, you know, today she has her own massage therapy place and she's got two women working with her. And I said, Allison, cool. never thought you'd be an entrepreneur. And she's like, I still don't think I am. I'm like, but you are. <laughs> but she had to take the risks. Yeah. She had to. So, uh, you know, she's seen me do it. And obviously, because I've done it, I can help her. And, you know, that's we just keep that going. And uh, it's. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And shake off the imposter syndrome, right? Because you can do it and you are deserving and you are worthy. So, um, Jeff, cognizant of time here, but um, obviously, you know, you've given us a little insight as to what you do today already, you know, in terms of helping business owners. And, you know, I think your story speaks volumes to the experience that you bring to that. And, um, are, are there typical kind of businesses that you help or business people or size of companies or regions? Like what, what's, who, who, are, who are your kind of ideal customers that you know you can add the most value to? Yeah, my passion is the small to medium sized business. So, you know, I can work individually with somebody very small in a coaching, but for me to go in, I, I do a combination of helping to uh, build the management team and move the organization so that it can deal with the new management structures, you know? Otherwise, if, if cool. you get management, if, if you get your management team to be able to unleash the collective genius of the people, you can't have an organization that chokes it out. So I, I, I work with small to medium sized companies. My sweet spot is probably like 25 and I've done up to 650. Right. Wow. So, cool. uh, but I, I like owner operated because that's my tribe. I relate to them. Uh, and yep. I don't do sales. I don't do marketing. I don't do finance. I, I understand that enough to be dangerous, but I'm a leadership development and organizational design guy. 
And uh, nice. that's when I can roll up my sleeves and come in and help understand what your issues are. And I teach as I go because my obligation is not just to help you build your company, but to help you understand and learn how to build your company so you don't need me at some point. Yeah. And so, you know, my, my engagements go anywhere from three months to two and a half, three years. And yep. uh, then when they end, they call me back when they have something cool going on. But yeah, nice, nice. Small to medium size and really companies that know that they that are frustrated with. I know we can do better, but I can't figure out why we why we aren't. So I go in, I troubleshoot, I show and I work together with them and help them build the type of company they want. That's cool. Very cool. I love it. And uh, clearly we uh, we get along so well because clearly we're part of the same tribe here. It's the, exactly the same sort of people we love to help too. So, um, Jeff, how do people get in contact with you? It's um, what's, what's the easiest way if they want to reach out? I've got a really cool website. It's jeffreydeckman.com. It is filled with content. In my heart, I'm a teacher. If I could give all this stuff away for free, I would. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of content on there. I've got a YouTube channel you can find on there. I've, I've done quite a few podcasts that talk about my uh, the type of work I do. That's all on cool. the site. Or you could just email me at jeffrey at jeffreydeckman.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to put those links in there. Um, I noticed, well, obviously, you and I are also connected on LinkedIn as well. So um, perhaps a, a, another channel that people can reach out to uh, or reach out on. So well, that's awesome. Um, we'll put all those links in the notes. So um, if you've enjoyed hearing Jeff's story and you'd like to chat to him more, you'll be able to reach out to him quite easily. Um, Jeff, if I could ask you one final question just to wrap up. Can I ask you, what, what is your personal definition of success? Experiencing inner peace and trying to help other people experience theirs. Because if I nice. can get that, nice. I've got a lot of things in the right space. I love that you've been able to break down something so complex into actually just a, a simple idea. It's, you know, I guess it's probably the more simple ideas that are actually the hardest ones to achieve, right? It's, uh, you know, how do you take the complex and make it simple? So I love it. Um, Jeff, thanks so much for sharing. Thanks for coming on the show and uh, and sharing your story with us. It's uh, it's been great chatting with you. Oh, it's been awesome chatting with you. I'm I'm glad to have gotten to know you. And uh, yeah, I love the work you're doing. You know, you're you're coming to people at a pivotal time in their life, and you're you're shepherding them through it well. So that's to be respected. So thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate the uh, the very kind words. And thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, we'll see you again on the next episode. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Wherever you are on your business journey, it's worth understanding what is driving value into your business and what could be holding you back. For more information, speak to the team at Exit Advisory Group by going to exitadvisory.com.au or send an email to ask at exitadvisory.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.